Track audio with Nick and Charles, and we're back. We're back. Hiya there, Nick. How's it going? Uh, going pretty good. Uh, I think I might may as well uh, let listeners know. Uh, if you hear me coughing, it's because I'm uh, uh, I'm negative now, but I'm still recovering from some COVID symptoms. Old, old Nicky got COVID. Mm. Old old Nick the Mick over here got a yeah <laughs> old yeah. old Nicky. I like that. I like uh, <laughs> uh, I like when people refer to themselves as a nickname um, or something. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for you, I feel like it's normally like a McNarton kind of a thing, or at least like oh, is that sure. a spoonerism? Is that what yes. that's called? Yeah. Yes, spoonerisms are fun. I feel like it's been a minute since we've recorded. In, in 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 reality you yeah know, like yeah it's 2022 the... now and i'm not sure yeah. if we recorded in 2022 but uh how how about you charles how's the the new year in boston you know hey it's been it's been very cold it's been single digits the last couple of days up here which is pretty is pretty cold for this area seemingly mm-hmm. i feel like when i was living in kansas uh where, where, where you live at present it would get down to this kind of temperature pretty regularly is my memory. Like it would often be in like the teens and stuff, but up here it's usually like sure. stays above 20 degrees, I think. So, so it might just be, it, it might, honestly, I, I, you know, I say that it's not usually like this. It's just not in my experience, but I've not been here that long. So that's sure. Um, that might be it. But um, so far my 2020, the only thing 2020, Oh God. Ugh. Uh, I know, I know. Whose old man's hands were these <laughs> in front of me? Um, the only things that have been going on with me, I guess, really, is that I've, I've, I've developed a couple of, uh, you know, I've been, been locking down a little bit more with the variant and stuff. And you know what I thought you were gonna I, say? I, was, I thought yeah. you were gonna say I've developed a couple of romantic interests. Like you're nope. gonna like on nope, air discuss a multiplicity of. Uh, of relationships at once, which would be something. Well, I have not, but... I do not have a multiplicity of relationships. I am in a multiplicity situation, like in the movie Multiplicity, though, where there are multiple versions of myself reflecting different elements of my personality, <laughs> all in love with the same woman. So that's uh, <laughs> that's something going on. Okay. Uh, but no, I, I've sort of, uh, you know, I've, I'm back on my my quarantine grind to a certain extent, and an identical thing is happening that happened in 2020 when this all kind of started is that like I've gotten weirdly into a couple of like couple of things. And those things are, um, I've started watching the Daniel Craig, James Bond movies. Oh yeah. I believe you're a fan of, you know, I, I watched Casino Royale on Wednesday and I've watched one every day since I I was actually watching, uh, no time to die. I the beginning right before we started recording this Mm -hmm. morning and, uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving them. I, we don't have to get into it too much. We do have a tendency to sort of digress into movies, but Casino <laughs> Royale, a great movie. It's it's good stuff. But so there's that, and uh, the band, the band, the band is also something that I've become a little bit like, for whatever reason, they're really yeah. doing it for me right now. Um, so I've been listening a lot to them and and sort of digging into their whole deal. Sure. Um, and that brings us to the topic for today's episode. Yeah, so we're discussing we're discussing uh, it makes no difference by the band and Coyote by Joni Mitchell, and I just want to say something yeah. right off the bat. Uh, it applies to these two songs specifically, but it applies to the band and to Joni Mitchell generally. Mm-hmm. I feel like Joni Mitchell is like the perfect like sunrise road trip artist, and 100%. I feel like 
and I feel like the band is the perfect sunset road trip group to listen to. I I totally agree because I think that it particularly now Coyote, um, this song mm-hmm. and, and the album that's on Hajira, my favorite Joni Mitchell album, hands down. I listen to it probably about once a week. Like I, I love nice. it. I love it so much. One of my favorite albums, period. And all the songs kind of sound the same, but it's just like this beautiful like. And it is a song, an album that was written while she was driving this like massive. She, so she had like a lot of pop success in like the early seventies, and was like touring and doing like a stadium tour and stuff. And she kind of took a break in like uh, uh, 1976, 1975, 76. And mm-hmm. um, she uh, traveled from California up like up north like across canada back down again and then back to california through the u.s in this massive road trip um and that's where she wrote a lot of the songs that are on the album oh awesome um and so it's it's really cool i i I, you know and I, i think that speaks to your um uh that observation like very literally i mean there's there's lots of uh and i think that it's a good like road album that's not about touring you know, right, and and, and the right. song is a good like road song that's not about about it, you know it's just somebody who's like kind of restless. It's not uh, mm-hmm. the, the character in the song or Joni herself or whatever. It's not like a, oh man, touring on life on the road is terrible. You right, know, it's like which uh, I feel like is the only song that anybody who the band ever that made this too complicated. I feel like the band inspired a lot of other groups, and every <laughs> one of those groups wrote a touring sucks song. It's what it sounds like. Sure. To me. Sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think uh, I think Coyote. So, so, so as far as this is talking about Joni Mitchell, what, what's your interest in or history with this this song particularly? So, so with Joni, I I sort of I think you were probably the one who who got me to start listening to her uh, three maybe four years ago now at this point. Mm-hmm. I think it was twenty eighteen. And I mean, it was just a sound that I'd I'd never heard before. And you and I have have spoken about um, many times. We've spoken about how like rock and roll is is definitely like like a boys' club, and um, and I think I prefer like male musicians, uh, just personally for the most part, anyways. But I, I I like you don't even get as many opportunities to listen to female artists, particularly in rock and roll, and that gets kind yeah. of annoying. So finding Joni Mitchell is like this. I mean, to call it a breath of fresh air is a huge understatement because, I mean, she's easily she's easily one of my favorite artists. Coyote, I mean, you were saying you listen to uh, Hijira every, every week because it's one of your favorite albums. Coyote, I'm listening to it now and I'm going, this has got to be one of my favorite songs because it's just... Mm. it's just so perfect i I could listen there are no songs i could listen to on repeat and i could almost listen to this song on repeat right exactly and it just i think like it it's not short you know it's five minutes long it's Mm -hmm. pretty long for um and it's like but it just it just rides you know Mm -hmm. and it's like a little story but there's so much to unpack in the lyrics you know and and the lyrics are so interesting um and and yeah, I, I I love I love the bass, you know, uh, Jaco Pastorius, the the great bass virtuoso, plays bass guitar on this. Uh, oh, cool! On a yeah. bunch of songs on this album, he's kind of a big deal in the jazz world, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's cool, and I, I think like uh, I, um, 
right never get tired of of hearing this song i'm just immediately um uh, excited by it um mm-hmm. and and it's 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 really like i also think that she on this album really like i think blends together she she'd been playing with a lot of like jazz influences for a while at that point but i think they really like the jazz and the folk elements of her artistry like blend so perfectly on this record to where like there's it's not like it doesn't sound like a jazz song or like a traditional folk song you know what i mean it's kind of it's it's both and it's either Mm -hmm. you know kind of thing and it's just like like it's just a it's it's this like third thing like it doesn't Um, sound like either of them but it feels like both of them exactly and like and on her next album um uh don juan's reckless daughter which i i also quite like uh it's super weird but like um she does go in more of like a and for a while go in a much more like kind of straightforward jazz direction um and but other other obviously i guess there's blue motel room which is on this album which is like a um a straight up like kind of loungy kind of jazz song Mm -hmm. in like almost like a pastiche kind of way but the rest of the record's really like it's just like a folk music, but with like kind of challenging harmonies and rhythms in a way that's really cool. Um, but yeah, um, and interestingly, also played this song on uh, the famous uh, Last Waltz concert with the band. So kind of an interesting. Uh, so I guess they they were they were friends ultimately. Uh, now, do you have any any connection or interest in the band? That's not really a, a group we've ever talked about very much. I don't think. Yeah, we haven't. I don't know uh, a whole lot about them. I know the thing that everyone knows about them that they kind of uh, uh, like first got recognized for for backing uh, Bob Dylan. But just uh, reading up on them a little bit in, in in prep for the for the episode, it seems like they were so influential. Which is which is surprising because I never thought I always thought of them as sort of one of the like backup quarterbacks of of <laughs> rock and sure. roll like okay but right. uh, so, Wait, so I so think that's... maybe in reality they're like um, uh, now I'm gonna forget what it is there was that famous isn't it like the the eighties there was a team that they used their third string quarterback and he took them to the Super Bowl do you know what I'm talking about. I, I uh, don't know. Sorry. There's some there's some sports story where there's like the situation <laughs> where the first and second string like quarterbacks both got injured how, and were out for um, the season. How abstractly I, can you tell this as a sports story? Like, can you tell this as a sports story without making reference to any specific sport? So the guy who <laughs> who throws the ball and gets the adulation, uh, two of them got hurt. Okay, okay. and there's a third guy who also throws the ball but like technically as far as the team was concerned did not throw the ball quite so well as the other two guys and the fans were sort of concerned about the future of the team <laughs> and they ended up going all the way and uh winning the cha- the re- related championship to whatever sport they were playing oh um, perfect okay yeah but uh very good uh, very good you yeah, ruled out that? hockey and soccer by the way so that's true yeah <sighs> Hey, so we'll, we'll give you a B did I? on that. People throw balls in soccer. It doesn't happen that often, but it happens. Oh, you, you know hey, what? That's, that's true. I, I that's say true. it doesn't happen that often. I have no idea. It could happen all the time. <laughs> I don't know how often they throw the ball in. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, hockey. I did rule out hockey. Ruled out, uh, um, backgammon. Uh, you ruled out backgammon. Backgammon, um, cro- cross country skiing, mm-hmm. uh, decathlon. All, all out. <laughs> MMA. Come on. It's not even a ball in MMA. <laughs> 
Right, right. Uh, it's two balled up fists, Nick. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Destroy the other person. Um, yeah, I think I think the band. Yeah. I I was kind of surprised by that too when I because they were a group that like I think that I I really only knew. I mean, I think their song "The Weight" is a big song. I think it's that's huge. Song that's like, yeah, shows up in things and stuff like that song you just like hear. Um, and like up on Cripple Creek is a pretty. I think I don't know if you know that song. That was kind yeah. of a big hit. And um, the night they drove old Dixie down probably is too. Um, although that song has not aged particularly well. A- anyway, uh, but the band I got into them. I for over a while I I was in a space where I was like, oh, I got I should listen to like classic um, rock records. You know, mm-hmm. like it, not like necessarily classic rock, but just like rock albums that are like highly regarded and so i bought um their second album their their eponymous second album and was blown away by it it's so good it's so good every single track is amazing and and i i think what's gotten me back into them recently is after watching that beatles documentary on disney plus i um have gotten really interested in the beatles solo careers to to a degree that i haven't before and i was listening to, mm-hmm. to all things was pass and i was like man this sounds just like the band this is like so bandy you know where it's this mix of like it's like this mix of like country and folk and r&b mm-hmm. and and that's kind of the 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 sound and i, I didn't care I... for all things must pass oh really no i owned it on vinyl for a little bit that's the triple lp right yeah yeah, I, there were one or two tracks on it I liked, but it wasn't. Uh, I I found it, it I is, found it dull for, for, from my perspective, but that's just I think me. that it would have benefited from a more varied and less produced production. I think mm-hmm. it's like very intense to listen to because every single song is just like six acoustic guitars and two drum sets and you know horns and whatever. It's just like this like mm-hmm. weird carnival of which I, I kind of love about it, but. Um, sure. Uh, and of course the whole third disc is garbage, you know, but like, um, cause it's just, a of, it's just a bunch of jams, like, <laughs> which really bothers me. Like there's this whole thing where it's like, oh, George Harris had so much material that the Beatles wouldn't let John Paul wouldn't let him put on albums that he put on a triple album. But the whole third disc is just improvised jams in the studio while they were recording the other songs. Like, hmm. it, it's it's it, you know like it's not like he I mean, he had enough tracks for a double album which is a huge feat you know sure and and I think they're all good but like uh, it's a little like I, it's like why why that's so wasteful <laughs> you know there's so much like money that was spent on a triple album just to have yeah. it, uh, you know the anyway oh on so many levels yeah I, I I guess some people like that kind of stuff and I guess it's like Eric Clapton and like. The other guys in Derek and the Dominoes playing, you know, like they're they're really good, but like uh, still, yeah. So what what about it makes no difference? What what do you what do you think about it makes no difference? So I heard the song for the first time pretty recently because I was watching some clips from the Last Waltz, which is this the the band were I think part of the other reason why the band aren't like don't seem like as big of a deal is that they actually don't have that many albums. They only have like they have like I think five studio albums that they put out over the like 10 years of being together which is kind of nothing for the 70s you know um and part of that was that the 
band's rhythm section, the piano player, Richard Manuel, and then Levon Helm, the drummer, and uh, uh, Rick Danko, the bass player, who sings lead on It Makes No Difference, all got super into heroin after their second album came out. Oh, nice. So <laughs> they all got real deep into some heroin, and the other two guys in the band didn't. Um, but like it really slowed down their productivity, uh, pretty significantly. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that there's like this, this noted drop in quality after their first couple of albums, there's like stage fright, which I quite like, um, but it's like really dark and there wasn't like a hit off of it. And then like a couple albums that like people don't like generally. And then the album that this is on, um, Northern Light, Southern Cross, which is excellent, uh, and it, but they they decided to stop touring at a certain point because um, their their guitar player didn't like touring uh, and uh, they put on this big concert um, that was filmed by Martin Scorsese uh, so on like thirty five millimeter film so it had like like a film quality kind of um, kind of look to it mm-hmm. and they played a bunch of their songs with a bunch of guests so like the stable singers are on it and eric clapton and joni mitchell and neil young sings helpless with them there's a really good version of that if you know that song um van morrison like all these people um and uh dr john you know like a bunch of bunch of big names and uh they like did this like send-off concert and and i was watching some clips from it because it's really good the performances are great it like looks beautiful and um, this song was one of them, and I just, like, it was really, I f- was extremely moved by this song. I think the band have a capacity to sort of, like, make me very emotional for whatever reason. There's some sure. some combination of, like, it's, like, soulful, but it's also folksy, and the songs are often, like, the way that, like, um, uh, Robbie Robertson, their guitar player, who's also, like, wrote basically all of their songs, uh... He, you know, he has like a way with words that really like grabs me. And I think the singers, there's three singers in the band and they're all great and they're all great in their own way. And they all have this ability to sort of like, um, their, their voices are like unaffected and just feel like it's coming from a place of truth to me. You know, like, it's not like they're not good voices in a traditional sense uh, necessarily, but they're like, uh, it just feels like people like singing it honestly you know which is nice sure sure so this song like i've been listening to it a bunch over the last few days and it is like awakening some feelings in me you know i think like it's really uh um kind of messing me up in a way that Joni mitchell often does too uh, what do you think of of this I've, i'm going on way too long you know one thing a lot of people have said about this track specifically is how incredible the the vocals are and that really really does make the difference because i mean the lyrics are the lyrics are something i tend to kind of avoid uh yeah. analyzing lyrics um, and i i think the lyrics are not like they're not reinventing the wheel i i sure. do love the line there's a line there um uh the dawn don't rescue me no more which i i think is a nice that that made me very sad <laughs> you know like uh mm-hmm. You know, but but yeah, continue. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's 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 about all I was gonna say. Is is it's really really the vocals that that make this song, and it is it is different from from those other uh, stereotypical stereotypical tracks. I think you know, like I could I could listen mm-hmm. to this a lot. I could listen to it on a road trip, uh, and it does make me want to listen to the band more. I, I think there's a real. I, th- I think it's it, there's such like a lack of irony 
for the band. And I think that's something that like, because I, I think as far as songwriting goes, there's a definite parallel between them and like Bob Dylan's music of like the late 60s you know, um, to a certain degree, which they played on a lot of, you know, so they were his backing group when they toured. And I, I don't, mm-hmm. not all of them recorded with him. I think just their guitar player um, recorded with him significantly. He's on, I think, most of the tracks on Blonde on Blonde, for example. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, if you look at, like, that era of Bob Dylan, it's a similar kind of sound. But I think the difference is that, like, the band are, like, uh, even if the songs are, because a lot of their songs sort of take place in this world of sort of like 1800s America in a way, like they have songs about being like a ship captain or something, you know. But like, so they're like right. stories and they're obvious fabrications. But like, um, but I think there's like with Bob Dylan, there's like this maybe several layers of like removal and irony and like detachment. Um, with the majority of his songs, I, obviously there's there's clear exceptions to that, but I, I think he's just like kind of a uh, a removed sort of a figure, kind of sneering at a lot of what he's talking about. Whereas the band, I think, are like totally hard on their sleeves, and like when Levon Helm sings uh, "The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down" or whatever, he like is that farmer, you know, singing about robert e lee or whatever you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and 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 I you know, and I I think that's like which you know. And obviously they're also performers and they're sort of like doing a job. And like when you're given mm-hmm. a song to sing and you're good at your job, you like sing it well. And that's what they're doing. Right. So like it, it doesn't you know, have to be this like I may be putting too much on it. But um, yeah, that's a crazy thing for me to for me to think about generally with like I guess I guess all songs is is when you're performing it live or, or when you're trying to record it in the studio, you can't actually feel it every single time or or can you i don't know because because that's that's countless times where if you if you're if you're feeling it more than performing it you're Mm. just like wallowing in in a in a kind of potent emotion like um like like imagine imagine singing it makes no difference you know, five times a week on a six-month tour, or, or whatever right, it would be, you know, right. and having or, to like mean it every time, right? Or yeah. or or a, or dozens of times in a day trying to record it in a studio. I don't know what it would be like. Yeah, that's that's crazy to me. Like like it has to be divorced from emotion on some level. Otherwise, how could right. you do that all the time? Something that my uh, lute teacher. In grad school and and to the present day um would often talk about is like uh i believe she said this to me i might be getting it mixed up this is definitely something she talks about a lot i'm not sure this exact sort of like quote areas from her but like she talked about like the idea of like people describe performances as being like emotional you know mm-hmm. and how like the reality of it from a performance perspective is more like not like what is the like emotion of the song, but what is the uh, effect of the song? Like a sure e c t, where it's like okay, this song is in like and it, with a lot of like Renaissance and Baroque music, like we we you know we're playing in lessons and stuff. It's it's pretty usually it's like there's like kinds of songs that people wrote. So there's like 
sort of like uh, uh, there's basically like songs about death. There's songs about lost love. <laughs> there's, there's there's songs about like shepherds. There's a lot of songs about shepherds and things like that. But like um, so you, so you figure out what the like the general sort of like feel of the song is, and then you sort of work out like you work on developing a vocabulary of like ways to play things that um, are in that effect. Uh, and, sure. and I, I, I think like to a certain degree, I'm sure it depends on the person too, but like when it comes to like, if you're Rick Danko having to sing this song every night or whatever, and, and, and presumably at least like attempt to give it your all every time or, or like put it across to an audience in a way that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure part of it is like, uh, like an acting thing of like locking into like a memory or like a sense memory or just like a way that your body moves that allows you to like enter into that space of, of like lovelornness or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it's probably like the adrenaline. Cause the other thing you have to remember too, is I guess like people are like hearing a kind of sad sounding song around them or whatever, uh, from the other performers. And you're sort of in that performance headspace anyway mm-hmm. but i think it probably depends on who it is i'm sure some, there's right. a mix of like tricks to be like okay this is like a aching kind of a thing to do with your voice or with your instrument sure and then to but then to a certain degree it's probably like trying to like dredge up some actual feelings you know sure. about it one way or the other well and what I, about I think, what about any uh any orchestra performing like uh mozart's requiem like those those to me are all like I view I view any member of that orchestra as as a musician performing their mm. their part and I don't yeah. see any of them as being partic I see them all as being emotional like like relatively right. uh relatively scientific about their craft and yeah, that the exactly. and that kind of may, maybe what your what your lute uh teacher was saying which is which is like what? It, what is the effect that that has? And I think I think that they don't. I think that the musicians don't necessarily feel all that much. Well, that's, that's not their job in that situation, though. right? That's the conductor, you know, and the composer to another degree, depending on mm-hmm. the kind of piece that it is. I mean, a, a more contemporary, um, you know, like orchestral piece will have a lot of that will be on the page. You know, like you'll have specific instructions on like what to do in particular, you know passages of music that will like generate a result that sounds a certain way i guess Mm -hmm. but i think it comes down to the conductor you know and like what they're doing now i i happen to think that i have a hard time relating to that large of an ensemble on some level for me i'm not a big orchestral music fan yeah um as i and and, and not as bad or anything i just like i have a hard time like hearing um a hard time being like moved one way or the other by that big of a group for whatever reason. Uh-huh. It sounds sort of sterile to me, um, you know, because hmm. it's so perfect. You know, I I like okay. I want to be able to hear like I I like individuals and like when it comes to classical music, like individuals and like small ensembles where you can sort of like hear a like, yeah. little. There's so much more detail, you know. Sure, uh, but then like feeling it, it doesn't mean I'm like dredging the depths of my soul necessarily i just have to like get into the <laughs> like a, like a, like a headspace or just sort of like sit a certain way where it's like oh i'm sad you know like oh this is yeah uh this is like a uh a, excuse uh, me i need to go slouch in my in <laughs> right right i need to like uh crane my neck slightly to one side because that's like what sad <laughs> people do or whatever it is you know um 
All right. Well, follow yeah. us. Um, share the <laughs> share the pod. Uh, maybe we'll cut a bunch of the war stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, hey, I think this is all. I think this. If if nothing else, <laughs> this is what people are. This is what people are here for. Really, you know. Oh sure. Um. All right. Uh. Well. Uh. I yeah. Follow us on social media. I guess you know where to find us. Um. There you go. Okay. Uh, that's. I'm. I'm. I'm content. Uh. See all you guys. Right. I'm gonna cease recording in three, two, one. <laughs>